You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Rob. Michael. Dude, I miss you. Sometimes you're not on the show. Well, I'm always on the show. Oh, you're not sometimes not here for intros. Sometimes you're not here for intros. No, sometimes you're not here for an episode. Yeah, but we haven't aired really many of those yet. Yeah, well, I'm just saying that sometimes, you know, I miss you. Well, I miss you too when I'm gone. Is that true? It is. No, because you, you do really well over with Dax, and he's a great guy, and I love him to death. But, like, that's a big, that's a, that's a big show. It's a big show. And you're doing well, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm excited for you. I hope you don't forget about the little people here. Great show. We got this great week, actually. It's uh, Smallville week. Smallville and, week. Uh, We're going to do two weeks of Smallville week. Do too. we announce both episodes? Yeah. Well, no. we'll announce that this week we've got Kristen tomorrow. Yes, we do. We have Kristen Crook tomorrow. Today we have two guys that really gave me a, the biggest opportunity of my life, the creators of Smallville. They always they also created Into the Badlands, uh, Shanghai Nights. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. They've worked with so many great people. They're constantly working. They're, I think they're too driven. They don't stop. But their story of how they came together and how they met and how they became. It's a love story. It really is a love story. And, you know, it's like this one English guy. He's like, you know, kind of subtle and miles. And then Al is like, yeah, so anyway. And I just I love these two guys. And they're probably going, you fuck. Well, I don't sound like that. Um, but uh, they just wrote a book, uh, Double Exposure. Um, check it out. Let's get inside the creators of Smallville, Al Goff and Miles Miller. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is really uh, exciting. Are you guys hot? No, we're good. You just tell me if you're hot. Okay. I'm pretty hot. Al, Are you hot? Yeah. yeah. Okay. The, welcome to Smallville Week, folks. This is the interview with the creators of Smallville, the guys that made it all happen. Now, these guys have been friends. I've known them for quite some time. You know, this is exciting for me because we've talked about, Al, you listen to the podcast I all do. the time. I do. I've, I've been a longtime listener uh, from the beginning. Yeah, and you just text me, and you're I like, did. I love this, I love yeah. how open you, because you know, you're a busy guy, and it's just like... I schlep children, so I'm, I'm in the car a lot. Right. But honestly, I think my favorite, the, the one where I was like, wow, Michael really has this down, was your Jimmy Connors interview. Really? I thought that was great. And I, I love that, too. You know what's funny is... You, you know why? Because you didn't know him. I didn't know him, and I was scared. And, and it was you, really could, good. Could you sense that I was no, nervous? I could not sense you were nervous, but I yeah. thought your questions were good, and... I've been a longtime Jimmy Connors fan from back in the day when it was him and McEnroe. Yeah. And but you like McEnroe better. I was much more of a McEnroe guy as a kid, but I thought your Jimmy Connors. Because Al always seems great. like he's really like mild mannered, but actually has this oh inner god. rage. Oh my god. Does he have a rage? See, you he guys is. all both. He's always pushing this narrative. Now, if you're wondering who I'm always talking to, Al is pushing this narrative. Look, Miles speaks in an English accent. He has a nice British accent. Is, is it's it totally really? fake. Is it really British? No, he's from Britain. He's he, from, right? He, yeah. But yeah. It, but it's a little mid-Atlantic now, I call it. Is it? So, it's true. Yeah. yeah. What, do, what do you mean mid-Atlantic? So it's somewhere, somewhere between... over the Bermuda Triangle. Right. Yeah, <laughs> is that, that that's what it is? It's it just is. kind of yeah. lost in translation? Yeah, yeah. yeah, a little bit. I like it. Look, <laughs> this show is called Inside of You, and you know, most of the time I deal with actors, directors, producers, musicians, athletes, and really, uh, you know, I interviewed David Nutter. David's fantastic. Uh, he, you know, the guy's been like, he's the one, the guy who sold... How many pilots? Oh, he's, he's 50? The, he's the Steven Spielberg of television. He really is. Yeah. And he did all the big episodes of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. And he, he did, did the, the, he the, did the Red season. Wedding. Yeah. Do you guys watch Game of Thrones? I, I do. Al does. Yeah. You do. What do you watch, Miles? I watch a lot of stuff. 
I don't watch Game of Thrones, though. What's your favorite show on television? Right now? Yeah. I love Homeland. Homeland? Mm-hmm. I thought that was, uh, that, that's was that been on for a long time. It has. Like Americans? Yeah. I like Stranger Things? You like Stranger Things? Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the show Dark on Netflix? Love Dark. It's fantastic. That's one of my favorite series there is. That's amazing. So look, part of this show is we get to know where people come from. Not just like, hey, what are you doing today? Because I know you got a, a book out. I know you got Badlands season coming up. I know there's all this stuff going on in your lives. And you're like, we've had meetings. We've discussed projects. But... You know, this is Smallville week, yeah, and it is inside of you. So, yes. for those listening, it's I think it'd be really interesting to learn about how, you know, where you guys are from and how you guys kind of, you know, how you met. I know you met in school at USC, correct? That is correct. But what were you doing? Were you always Al? Were you growing up thinking I'm going to be a writer, creator, and was that always in your head, or what were you thinking? I grew up in a small town in Southern Maryland, and the movie bug bit me. I mean. Like a lot of us in our generation, you know, it was Star Wars and Raiders, but it was really E.T. And I remember going to see it opening night in this crappy theater in a place called Lexington Park, Maryland, which was a it's a small town. It's a, a small community up against Patuxent River Naval Air Station. So it's a big military crowd. And I remember seeing E.T. opening night. And how old were you? I was 14. 14. Yeah. And I was like, I want to do this. I don't know exactly what this is. The first credit that came up after the movie was over was directed by Steven Spielberg. I'd obviously heard of Spielberg because of, you know, Raiders and Jaws and Close Encounters and stuff, but I never really understood what a movie director did. Right. And so that's when it, the bug sort of bit me, but then it took me 10 years between that time until I went to film school. So were you constantly uh, bothering your folks? and like, this is what I want to do. Oh, yeah. I want to be a director. I want to be I a wanna writer. Be, yeah, Something. I, like, I want to be in the movie business, which was the equivalent of saying, I want to go to the moon. Right. Like, nobody in Southern Maryland knew anything about Were they the good parents? Business. Did you have good they parents? They were great. They were. They always yeah. supported you. Were they, were they those parents that were like, I love you, Al? There's not a lot of that. Did talk. they call you Al? They, I was Little Al because my dad is Big Al. I'm the third. Little Al? Yes. We had a Big Al. Alfred Goff the third. I'm Alfred Goff the third. And yeah. by the way, Alfred Fabian Goff the third. Fabian? Yes. You could have been a porn star. They, absolutely. Fabian Goff. Faby Baby would be Faby my porn name. Faby Baby. That would have been my porn name. Wow. So they were supportive. They, they were great. And, and I grew up in a small town and they were not... Now they're the opposite of helicopter parents. They're more like drone parents. Like you could just go out and do stuff, and they would eventually find you. Really, but, that's sort of what my yeah. parents were. Where, and, and where they, are you going? Just go. Yeah, just go. What, the thing is, they knew everybody. They didn't need social media. They had friends. They had a police scanner, so they knew what we were. Oh, the handy police scanner. They, they knew what they knew what we were doing. Right. You know, I think when we were younger, we thought we were so clever, and then we just realized, now nah, they just let us get away with shit. Were you a partier? Were you a drinker? Were you a smoker? Were you were you just a good kid? I was a good kid. In high school, I did like to go to parties. You did, so, but did you do I, drugs? I, I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. believe that for a second. I, I, I drank and... I've know, never seen him drink ever. No, I, I haven't. I sort of gave that up after college, but I used to, yeah. So did you stop drinking because you just didn't like it? I Yeah, I was just bored with it. You just didn't like it? It didn't make you feel good? No. So no, you didn't I, like... The idea of how drunk is kind of impossible for to me yeah. to, to imagine even. Yeah, I've never seen it. I, I would either get super loud or super sleepy. So I, that was kind so of, so that was it. Yeah. And it was only beer. Like once I, I think in college I tried like hard liquor and like threw up and I was out now miles. Yes. What about you? You went to Catholic school, right? No, no. you didn't. No, are you Catholic? No, absolutely I'm, I'm, not. I'm Catholic. You're the yeah. Catholic, Catholic one. Catholic, like, everyone yeah. thinks Al's Jewish actually, but, um, it's kind they of weird. Do. 
Well, golf seems Jewish. Yeah. What is golf? It is actually uh, English. Very English. Yeah. English. Yeah. But basically, uh, my family showed up in like 1634 in Maryland, looked around, said, this is nice, and stayed for 400 years. <laughs> That's amazing. No wandering. Not big explorers. <laughs> Not big explorers. But Miles, what about you? So I grew up in Australia, actually. So I was sort of the Australian. Why did I know that? I didn't know you grew up in Australia. Yeah, so my family's Australian. That's where his rage nine. comes from. Yeah. So I grew up in Australia, and then when I was nine, moved to England and went to boarding school in England till I was 18. So I had this, like, very – actually, it, was, it wasn't a strict boarding school, but it was pretty – Were English. your parents pretty strict? No, actually. No. I was wandering around London by myself when I was 11, so I had a great – you never got spanked? I never got spanked. No. I actually had, I had a master at my school wash my mouth out with soap. What did you say? I said the word bugger. Bugger. And what does bugger mean? Uh, bugger. Is it like shit? Fuck? It's sodomy, yeah. But it's like... Um, bugger. You know what that is, Rob? Yeah, I've heard it. So you <laughs> if you say someone to... Tell someone to bugger off, they basically... Oh, fuck off. Yeah, basically. Bugger off. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, so right, there was this right. Really, he you was, didn't want to say the F-bomb. You didn't want to do it, Miles. I don't know what I said that. Are but... you not an F-bomber? Oh, oh my God, yes. <laughs> well, well, you get Absolutely. mad. We'll get into your rage. We'll yeah, get into I, your I'm Jimmy pretty, Connors rage. I'm pretty rageful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you... Okay, so you're, you liked your parents. I mean, they were yeah, good. So great, you both amazing. had good parents growing up. There was no any any uh, infidelity in the house. There was no drug using. There was no... My favorite story, Miles' parents are great, and his dad was hysterical. And I remember at his wedding, in the small chapel i can't remember where exactly what little town we were in right yeah and so miles was signing his marriage license and i'm the best man i'm sitting next to his father he literally leans over me and goes didn't learn to write his name until he was eight years old that's all he said <laughs> that's it with an, yeah. with an accent australian yeah. accent it was hysteric yes did your did. dad speak with an australian accent? he did yeah he did, yeah he passed he did when, when did he pass he i guess oh, actually eight years ago wow has it been eight years yeah was wow. that one of the toughest things you had to go through that's very tough were, yeah. you, were you very close? Very close. It was a very, it's a, like it's a passage of life, but yeah, it's very surprising and shocking when it happens to you. And it's only when it happens to you, do you understand it? And how old was he? He was 80. 80? Yeah. And it happened very quickly. Like sort and, of, I was speaking to him one, one day and next he was gone. And the, for any reason or just, was it, was it cancer? Was it an no, aneurysm? It was, it was, it? It was uh, pneumonia. So he should have gone to, he should have looked after himself better. But literally, I was speaking to him one day, and then the next, and I, I have the two kids. They get to they got to got to speak to him, and the next day, he he I got a call in the middle of the night that he'd gone. You weren't expecting him to pass, no. And also, it's a distance. I was in Los Angeles, and he's in London, so it was. How do like, you deal with that? How do you? Are you a guy that you seem like? Just knowing you, I've known you twenty years, I guess. That's right. But I've known you as my boss. I've known you as, but we become friends, right. of course. But I don't know on you on a personal level, like Al. Or, uh, you know, we don't go out for beers together or go out and, you know, hang out. But, like, I notice, like, you're, you're very – how would I say this? You, you keep everything sort of inside until it, you know, it, it blows up. That's right. And, and, and all these things, it's like you build – these thing, little things build. How did you, de- how did you cope with it? Were, did you, was, there, was there anger? Was there – are you a crier? Do you, do you get emotional? I get emotional very much, yeah. Because I do too. Yeah. And uh, Rob doesn't. Oh uh, yeah, Rob. I can see that with you. I can see <laughs> that you would be kind of cold. Rob's um, even I, even keeled. I think is, is yeah. How I describe. You know, I'm I'm really more Israeli like that. I get super emotional and super angry and rageful. And Al's the the, the steady course, right? He's the he's the steady boat. I, I'm more British than Miles. Yeah, is, is the but I think when people get to know me, they're surprised 
I think I have a, a sort of intimidating presence, maybe. I think at first, because I think just an English accent, yeah. you're immediately yeah. intimidated. Yeah. If someone's going, excuse me, Michael, will you come here for a second? I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? Yeah. It's just something different. English people sound smarter. Immediately which they're smarter. Which is shit, because they is it? not. Yeah. Is that true? Absolutely. But they sound smart no matter fraud. what they say. It's yeah. So, Al, do you remember that moment? Did you call Al or did his- You, did your, did, you texted me. Did I? And I couldn't believe it. And you just said I, my I bad passed. Yeah, you said, you said my, and I was like- what did you so, what how did you react i, I think mean, i i called him and then we talked and then you had to get on the plane like the next day how do so. you do that you had to go for work you had to fly out for work or you had to go oh, no, yeah. yeah yeah now did you speak of course you had to i didn't speak you didn't no i didn't know it i, could, I figured I you would have gotten it. up and said something instead no i wrote something i couldn't speak you couldn't speak no you just could not. You were like, do you, which I still feel like I'm a coward, but I couldn't do it. No, so. did your wife say, "Do you want to do this?" You're like, I, I can't do this. Exactly. So, well, I don't blame you. I, I, I think about this all the time. It's like I'm, my grandfather's my best friend, and right. he's got Alzheimer's, and I know he's going to die, and I don't know. It's not much time, right? And he's been like a father figure to me, and I'm like, when that day comes, and I think about it every so often, like. I gotta, I'm going to have to speak. They're gonna, I'm his best friend. They know. They all know that I was the first grandson. I have to speak. I can't speak. I can't do that. I couldn't go up there. Well, you completely unprepared for what happens. So grief is an amazing thing to, to actually experience because it's not like you – it's completely unexpected. Yeah. So right. when you get to experience it, which everyone does, it's, it's shocking. Is there someone that when you went to the funeral that you see that you – that immediately – like when from my, my grandmother died, I saw my – I saw my brother, and he's very, you know, not standoff, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't emote. He doesn't, you know, he keeps everything inside. And we locked eyes and just went to each other and embraced and cried. So was there, is there someone that when you saw them, you were immediately, you fell apart? No, I think it's, what's interesting is when you, when you meet other people who've lost parents, you feel an immediate bond. So you have that connection. Right. So is, is there's a, there's a, friend of ours from film school who lost i remember writing a note to her and her mother suddenly died and it was like we really felt a bond and that helps yeah well it's just it just it's an understanding of of how life goes another chapter of your life is finished but also another moment of understanding how like the cycle of life it sounds like a cliche or uh disneyfied but actually it's just an important moment in your life you realize when people talk about grief what it is yeah. And I'd never experienced, I'd had a completely blessed life. You know, nothing ever bad had happened to my family. No cancer, no no drugs, no drink, no alcoholics. It's just like, it was just very shocking to experience that. But everyone does. So and how like, long did it take to be, feel like a human again, to feel creative again, to feel like you could move on? Did you, did you use work as a tool to sort of help you get through it? Like I need to keep working to. Well, we never stop working. That's what keeps us going, right? Yeah. So it's, it's that's our drug is work. That is our addiction. If you stop, you think you'd go crazy? Yeah, we we don't. It's impossible for me to imagine stopping. Al's nodding his head. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. it literally is our drug. Because yeah. I've said this to you many times, especially you, Al. Yeah, I've said you've made millions. Smallville and into the Badlands and Shanghai Night and like on and on the Hannah Montana movie, the Eddie Murphy. Well, not the Eddie Murphy movie, but all <laughs> yeah. these things you've done with your life, and it's like you could retire easily. You could, but you love work. Yeah. You love the whole like process. Like retire and do what? Like I'm like doing what? I'm doing the thing we love to do. Yeah, what so are you going to do? Just like, spend every day with Beth? I could all, do that. All day? By the way, she would get really tired of that. She'd get she'd tired of you, get tired of her. Wait till you're 80 or something. <laughs> but Miles, so 
the one thing that I take from this that's good is that your dad was 80 and he saw a lot of your success. He saw you peaking, really, right? Yes, exactly. And that's a terrific feeling to know that your dad saw this. Yeah, that's, you get that, that parental pride, which is sort of unbeatable, isn't it? Yeah. So that was great. Yeah, it's tragic. It scares me to think that one day, you know, it's so logical and so like right in your face, like, hey, today you have someone, tomorrow you don't. People are like, hey, how many times a day do we hear this person's here now? Love them with all you got. Yeah. He may not be here. And you, you take it for granted because you can't think about that shit all the time. No. But you know? it, I, um, it was a couple of years ago. My parents had their 50th wedding anniversary. So I threw them a big party. Right. I said, invite all your friends. Because frankly, the only time I ever go back to Southern Maryland was for funerals. You know what I mean? Like close friends that my, I mean, my father. You go back to the crab bowl sometimes. Uh, yeah. The but what? It, it's the crab bowls. The crab balls. Yeah. That's the, that's the specialty of Southern Maryland. Yes. Crab balls. Crab balls and stuffed ham. Really? Yeah. I think I had crab balls in college. You, you may have. <laughs> or just the prefix of that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, so I said, look, I'm, I'm tired of, you're only seeing people at funerals. So we had like a big party and the, the funny line was, you know, you see somebody you haven't seen in years and he's like, it's great to see you. And they're like, it's good to be seen. <laughs> it's good to be seen. Good to be seen. So, so let me. T- so, you, so I'm sorry for getting so intimate with you, Miles. But I, but this is what I love. I don't love that your father passed. I, <laughs> I love that you're vulnerable and you're talking about real things. And that's what. Let's fast forward. You, you had a good, uh, yeah. good parents. You were raised well. You guys met at USC. Yes, that's kind of where it all took off. Now, explain that. What were you doing at USC where you met and you kind of had a, some kind of bond? We were in the Peter Stark motion picture producing program, which is part of the graduate film program at USC. And what do you, what do you need to get in the USC? Well, it's interesting. I, so after college, I moved to New York and I was working in PR and I was, did it for three years. And I was about, you know, I was about to turn 25. And I said, if I don't do something now, it's never going to happen. You know what I mean? You're going to just become one of these people to put on a suit and go to an office. And so I was looking at film programs and I, I only wanted to be in Hollywood only in LA. So I looked at UCLA and USC and the USC programs is obviously the writing program, the production program, you know, uh, cinema theory. And then they had the Peter Stark producing program. And when I looked at that, I was like, Ooh, this is actually everything I want to do. Cause it gives you a, a bit of a buffet platter of, of the, of show business. So, um, it wasn't, there was no film required. It was like an essay. I think some letters of recommendation, an application and like GRE scores and lots of money and lots of money. But sure. That was for me, it was a lot of student loans. Right. So I was just like, I don't so care. So you paid for your college. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And how much is it to go to college at USC for all the years you went? Um, I think I quarter of a million. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, but I think when I walked out of film school between undergrad loans and film school, I was, I was at 125,000. Jeez. Yeah. But yeah, so that's so we went to this program and they they take 20 people a year. Yeah. And it is the most type A it could have been a reality show. So we um, had a very exceptional class though. Yeah. A really amazing. Who was in that class that I would know? It was else? um John Glickman who's the who's the president of production of MGM, John August who's a big screenwriter, mm. um Jim Whitaker who's a producer. There's a lot of people are still who are still in show business. Those are agents, writers. Yeah, yeah Greg producers. McKnight. 20. So out of the 20, yeah. these guys were part of the 20. Yeah. Probably at least at least 14 are still significant. Were yeah. there any ones that left and became nothing? Well, there was one guy who became a fireman, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> in, out, out, really? in, out in CB Valley. Valley. What's his name? 
His name's Chad. Um, <laughs> His name's Chad. He's Chad. Chad didn't see me valley. Yeah. And Does then Chad the, ever call you and go, hey, guys? No, Chad's no. sad he doesn't. You know how shit yeah. business work. Once you're out of the orbit, you're it's out, like, you're out. like you're Jake out. Ryan from 16 Candles. He's out. He's out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Inside of You is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. I just sent some of this to my mother, and she's starting to notice the differences. Hmm in herself and she, because I noticed my mother was always had brain fog and and she couldn't think clearly and and you know and and I I was like well this stuff works for me and what's great is I didn't even they weren't even a sponsor when I started using this um have you heard of synaletics yet well listen it's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why I use Qualia Senolytic. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, hello, sluggish mental and physical energy, hello, associated with that middle age feeling, hello. Also known as zombie cells, they are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senoletic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And they must believe in their product because they have a 100-day money-back guarantee. It's pretty amazing. I felt higher energies. Uh, I feel uh, more focused. Um, younger, I have to say, because a lot of these things make me feel younger. I feel more uh, productivity happening in my life, a little more enthusiastic, Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senoletic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Inside of you is brought to you by Factor. I love Factor meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm -hmm. um, look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just, I waste so much money and, you know... Factor Meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. It's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. And that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, um, their breakfast items, everything, dessert. It's its perfect for my lifestyle, and I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles. Um, yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. 
Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factormeals.com slash inside50 and use code inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code inside50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals. Okay, so you guys are both in this class. Yeah. yeah. And, and do you remember the t- the moment you met? Yes. This is at the George Lucas building, which has now been demolished by George Lucas because right. he built a much bigger building. But there was a little really like almost like Planet of the Apes courtyard, concrete bunker, and they had this little cocktail party for the new students. Remember this? Mm-hmm. And that we met at this cocktail party and Al, we sort of hit it off. We started talking about movies. We had the similar taste. And I gave Al my number to say to see a movie this weekend, and I'm the worst with numbers, so I Terrible. wrote down the wrong number. Yeah, and he tried to call me, and it didn't didn't work because it was like the wrong that number. Yeah, pig. So like he, he was blowing me off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I'm sure, never to do. Here's your number. This is what anyway. girls usually do to us. <laughs> it's true. So <laughs> <Not> that bros <laughs> exactly. Well, that yeah. didn't work, but eventually we uh met up in class again, and then began to yeah. We teamed up in a class and did a screenplay together and stuff like that. Were you like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I did. No, th- that's a that's a nine, not a six. I never had a I never had a, a phone number before, by the way. No, yeah, yeah. So it was all new to me in America. I never had a car. And Miles learned how to drive in L.A. Yeah, you can oh imagine. Oh my that. god! And he had this little like old manual. It was a white VW Rabbit. VW Rabbit with a Bob Marley sticker in the back, which is how you can always recognize it. And I, remember... I bought it for seven hundred dollars. Yes. <laughs> Oh my god! And I remember the day you finally got rid of it. It was at that place on Kawanga, just below the yeah, 101. Just sold, just sold my first, our first, first script. Yeah. And then was that I, Mango? I, that yes, was Mango. It had a crash. Someone rear-ended me. <laughs> did you, you were like, broke the did axle. your rage come out? No, I was like, no, I think it was like time to get rid of that car. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait a minute. You just fast forward. You, you sold a script. Now, how you're still in school? We're still in school. Now, what are the odds of selling a script? When you're still at film school, it's look, it's like the lottery, but uh, I will say Hollywood was a different place back then. And there were scripts that were selling, you know, three a day for, you know, upwards to a million dollars. I mean, this was really the spec script bonanza of the late eighties and early nineties. Um, that really went on to like 95. Right. I think is really what it was. And yeah, that's now, very now good. Spec- very good with date. No, because, yeah, yeah. But, but it started. Spec I, scripts don't sell now. No. It's and, and impossible. It's almost impossible. And that's because now it's all about IP or something existing. It's all properties. about marketing. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you know, this is in the day of, you know, Shane Black and Joe Esterhouse and, you know, people selling huge scripts. So it was, there was a gold rush mentality to it. But just because you sell a script doesn't mean you're going to have a career. It is like winning the lottery. Right. So for us, it was our tuition to learn how to write. And so we would write seven days a week, nine to seven. Do you remember the first day you started writing together? Like we're going to write a project together. Did it just come easy to you guys working together? 
working together came easy because we were we were friends. And I think a lot of the heavy lifting is done when you're breaking the story and you're figuring out and you're outlining it and things like that. And that's where it really helps to have two people. Who's the dialogue guy, if you have to say? Al. And you're the structure guy? I, we're both structure guys. Yeah. But we've, it's it's definitely... But I think it's all... I mean, honestly, we've been writing together 25 years. Sort of symbiotic. Years. It's yeah. sort of, you know... Yeah. Yeah. So so in, you're in college and you're like, hey, let's write this script together. And it, tell me if I'm wrong, but didn't an orangutan ex- was part of this? That's right. Yes. So the first script was called Mango. And it was a buddy buddy comedy about a cop and an orangutan. And the orangutan was called Mango. And the idea was that the cop was the the animal, the slob. And the, the orangutan was the gentleman. Sort of like... <laughs> yeah. So they're sort of reverse, but it was, we sold it the week after Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura came out. So it was yeah. all timing as well. Perfect timing. Yeah. So yeah. it was really more to do with, well, again, everything's to do with timing and luck. Whose but, idea was it to go out with it and where did you go and who's going to take your meeting? You're, I mean, I guess you're at USC. We, we had a lot of friends who were assistants. We used the USC mafia. Yeah, yeah. we used the USC mafia. But what was interesting was it was ending up on people's desks and people were reading it. And then my wife, at the time, my girlfriend, Beth, she worked at ICM in business affairs. She was an assistant there. And there was a guy named Warren Zide who just left to... And he sings, ooh, werewolves in no, London. That's Warren Zevon. Oh, Warren Zevon. Close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Warren Zevon sold our first spec. It's a fantastic story. Um, and he was starting up and he was becoming a manager, which again, was not something people had back right, in the right. back in the early 90s and he read it and liked it and we said you can be our manager but you have to get us an agent and he got it to an agent named david warden who had a small boutique agency called warden white and kane and he represented um jeff arch who wrote sleepless in seattle and sam ham who wrote batman and wow. it went out and there was a sold out in bidding war 48 bidding hours war. yeah, now, yeah. It sold for four hundred thousand dollars yes that pays off your student loans. Uh, yeah, a lot of it. Yeah. Now, how much is four hundred thousand dollars then? Now, was that a million dollar script? If they had made it, it would have been. It would have been. Yeah. So there's all these. Yeah, it's always this against this and and stuff right, like that. Right, but right. then, but here's the thing: is it opened the door? It oh, opened the door. Absolutely. But you have to make it last because you don't know when the next one's. Because if you have another script after that and it's a piece of shit, yeah. Like, oh, whatever. Well, yeah. we did have another script, which didn't. The which next didn't script sell. didn't sell. Yeah. So we, we ended up writing, I think, five specs. We sold Mango, and then we sold another script called Favorite Son, which was a political – it was a man-on-the-run political thriller. We got a friend of ours had gotten some advice from his agent. He goes, you want to write something that sells? Write a young man-on-the-run script. And he was like, I'm not doing that. And we're like, we are. That's a good idea. So it was called Favorite Son, and it was about – it was like a JFK Jr. type character who was on the run. Cause we're like, what if a famous person was on the run? How does celebrity work for and against you? Um, that's cool. Yeah, it was cool. And we sold it. Still cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was a really, it, it was a, it was a really good. We, and you sold that. We sold that to Laura Ziskin and uh, Leonard Goldberg, who's a, you know, famous TV. television producer and movie producer. I mean, right. this guy's had a million lives. Charlie's angels. And um, the love boat. And he, and he was, that was his. Yeah. Charlie's angels. Wow. Fantasy Island. Love boat. Um, and you guys actually, ended up doing Charlie's Actually, Angels. Love Boat wasn't him. Oh, it was his Aaron. Aaron. Aaron had wanted him to go. I mean, Leonard told us a story. He he had done, you know, Heart to Heart, Charlie's Angels, Starsky and Hutch, Fantasy Island. But he wanted to be a movie producer. So he was going to leave. And Aaron had heard the pitch for Love Boat and said, Leonard, please do this. Leonard went to his wife Wendy. And Wendy's like, Aaron has this project and he wants me to do it. He goes, Leonard. You want to be out of that. You want to be a movie producer. You got to make a clean break. And so he goes, Leonard didn't do it. 
Aaron asked him three times. And then after the premiere, <laughs> Leonard goes, I turn to Wendy and I go, congratulations, you owe me $65 million. So because <laughs> it just was a huge, huge hit. So anyway, oh. so we, we sold the script to to them. And, and I think for us, that was really the script where we became writers, you know what right. I mean? Because like, people really liked the writing in the script and the story was strong and working with Leonard and with Laura Ziskin. Who you guys grew great. up pretty fast. It sounds like, you know, I mean, from the time you sold your first script, people usually go through like a lot of struggles. You guys hit the lottery, like you said, but you were off and running. Well, for- we, I think for us, we never, we took it really seriously. We yeah. worked our asses off. Yep. We worked every single, I mean, this is the thing. We worked every single day. Yeah. For the next 15 years, literally. Every is that, day. I mean, that's what it takes, doesn't it? You it does. can't, it doesn't take, you can't like everyone intermittently write. No, no, you have to do, I mean, it is a muscle and you have to, you really have to do it. Do you still it, do that? Do you still write every day? Oh yeah. Yeah. You guys write we're every working, day. We're working on a spec now. We always have something we're writing because it, it's just, it keeps you, you So know, that's sane. the key. If you're out there and you're a writer, I think it translates to any, translates to any profession, yeah. right? I mean, if you're an actor and you don't, work for a couple of years you kind of got to keep the muscle going yeah well here's the great thing about writing as you know you don't need permission to do it you can just do it or anything know? else you, or, just yeah. need to, you just need a computer now and, and you can and be you, at starbucks you can be anywhere in the world yeah. yes just do it so there's no startup costs and and also you can write your way if you're in a career slump you can write your way out of it right you can change genres you can do something different and there's never an excuse not to write yeah how old were you when you graduated film school yeah 26 26. Yeah. And it was, it was probably, what, about five years before Smallville happened? Smallville. We graduated in 94, and Smallville it was 2001. 2001. Well, 2000 prob- for us. 2000 yeah. was when the pitch was? Yeah. 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 So we had... Because so, Smallville, obviously, was your biggest, greatest hit absolutely. at the time, right? Yes. And so what's interesting is we were writing specs. We were writing movies. Writing movie specs. Yeah. And we ended up moving to William Morris... In, I think, 96. And one of the projects we had done was this BBC show called Bugs. Basically, it was an action-adventure Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers, but the the old British Avengers-type series. So it was Secret Agents. And what they liked about us was that one was British and one was American because they couldn't find British writers to write action-adventure. So we ended up writing two episodes, one for like their season two, one for season three, where we'd literally write the scripts. They would come to LA, we'd pitch them the story, work with the producers, we'd write the scripts and fax that fax the scripts to them. Fax the yes. scripts. Yes. It, it, take take hours. Hours. it would take hours. It literally. would take hours. Can you guys do that again? There was some kind of glitch here and there. Oh, we had we had that sometimes where you're literally like you go to lunch and you come back and like, oh fuck it. Why don't you just email it? <laughs> you, <laughs> just you kidding. I know. You couldn't email it at that point. Come on, you know? yeah. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> and so when we went to William Morris, we had a TV agent and we hadn't really thought about television. We came to film school. To well, it, was very much, it was very much church and state. It was you church and state. couldn't do both. Yeah. It was always right. like, you can't do both, guys. you got to choose. Right. It's like, Boy, okay. Things change. And then, yeah. and then what happened was, and we frankly weren't getting much traction on the movie side. We were, we'd sold a few things, but nothing had been made. You, 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 I mean, that's the truth. You can yeah. sell a script, but your career only really changes. Like, hits the next level when you get a movie made. Yeah. I've sold four scripts and they never got made. It's impossible. People think there's so many levels. It's like getting a meeting. Yeah, with the no. right people, getting it bought. Then we do all these uh, – it's it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it, it, and I'm not sure it's still the same, but, you know, back in the day, people could have really lucrative careers and never have anything produced, which was always – must be so weird. Right. So we started doing television. They said, okay, you should write basically spec episodes. And this was 
back in the day when you would write an episode of a show that you liked and use I that. I say that. We also did a, yeah. we kept our education going. Went to, did a UCLA extension class in sitcom writing, which was great. They still have that class? I'm not sure. Well, I the guy who taught us isn't doing it. He's now like a marriage therapist, but he was, uh, he'd been a big writer in the 70s. I think he anyway. was divorced three times, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but it was a great class and we learned a lot and it's sort of, how do we infuse humor into our writing? Yeah. Right. So it was something that, and drama, great drama has great comedy as well. So it was a sort of a revelation for us. And then from that, we went on into sort of broke into television, but yeah. we, we didn't, we initially had a, a spec sitcom, uh, Third Rock from the Sun, which is a great sitcom. And we had a homicide, Life on the Street spec. Remember that show? Yeah. Yeah. And we went into NBC and they were literally like, what do you want to do, sitcom or drama? Like, we, we didn't even realize that the church and state within television between being a sitcom writer and a drama writer. And we chose drama because it was, it was frankly, closer to movies. And I'd suck in a writer's room like that. This I would be great with joking around, but I'll be like, oh, my God, I couldn't keep Are up. you not good in a pitch room? No. Al's, Al pitches. I pitch, but what's interesting but is- But they've got to hear the English accent every once in a while. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's important. It's like, oh, this guy's English. Yeah. He's smart. Yeah. I can be like silent and enigmatic. Silent and enigmatic. You just and say like, one thing. Like, you're like, he's, say- he's like, he's classy. Let's wind that guy up and have him do the pitch. There you go. Yeah, I think it's out, out, out. And then all of a sudden you go, you go, yeah, and, and this is what we have. You just throw a few sentences out and they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. I like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that yeah. guy. He talks. Yeah. Okay, great. So how did Smallville come about? We had staffed on a few television shows that didn't. Thankfully. really really bad shows yeah not good this is a what time, shows were we, they were time cop you could say time, time cop. cop and that, that was, was eight a, episodes that was 97 great people on the show great but people. the show literally when you sign on for a tv show it's three it was three years back in the day so it was like holy crap we, if we were stuck on time cop for three years i was literally i don't know what i'd do yeah but um it only, only went eight episodes that went eight and then actually from that we had a really good we ended up writing two of the eight episodes and we were story editors which is very low on the totem pole. Like on the when you see all those production credits on yeah. the television, you're not show, getting rich. No, no, no. But at that point, you get paid for the scripts you write, which is for us is huge. You get paid for the scripts, and they pay you a salary. We bought new cars, so I felt like yeah. Tom Hanks and Big. When you remember when he was working for the company, he got his first check. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh my god!" And the guy's like, "John Lovitz is like, don't get too excited." That that was us. <laughs> right, right, um, right. So we staffed on those shows, always with the eye towards creating our own show and being able to run it. So we got on, a, yeah, another show. Yeah, we got Marshall Law with Colton Cuse, who's a, became a big, yeah. big dude with Lost and Jack Ryan. So oh, he was yeah. sort of about yeah. a mentor to us. Yeah, and so yeah, so we did that show with Carl, which was martial arts, where we are sort of that was also in our sort of ah, Hong yeah. Kong. That's how you got yeah. around to Badlands. Eventually. Yeah, that was like we, the, the little beginnings. Exactly, and we sort of were having a two track career between at that point between movies and television because the usual thing once one starts, the other one kicked in. So television, we'd staffed on. Time Cop and Martial Law, both of which didn't, I think Martial Law went a season. But in the meantime, we'd gotten with Joel Silver, who on the movie side, we'd written two movies for him and Dick Donner, two Cinemax movies. One was like a Hitman movie called Double Tap, which is, it's terrible, but it stars Stephen Ray and Heather Locklear. It's that good. It's that good. And then the second one, which actually turned out kind of better was called Made Men with um, Jim Belushi and Michael Beach. And that was like a bag of money. You know, it's like, Bad guy's a bag of money. He's hiding out in the town. You know, his old crew comes to get him. So they were those. But we um, had a great relationship working with Joel and Dick and their team. And one of his- Dick Donner, who directed The Lethal Weapon. Yeah, Yeah, and Superman. Um, Uh And we asked him many Superman questions before we were doing Smallville. But um, they said, "We're, we're hearing pitches for Lethal Weapon 4. Why don't you come in and pitch? And 
They said Dick has a few things he wants to do. So if you can take his ideas, but he has no plot and come up with a plot. And so we spent a weekend and this is, we were still on, I think we were still on Time Cop at that just point. Just the weekend. Just, just the weekend. Just the weekend. Because they were like, they want to hear it on Monday. And they told us on Friday. Well, no, it was like, these was time count. Time so, count. So the sooner you get in here, the better. Because he, here's here's the thing. And this, this is, is on a Friday. This is on a Friday because they were literally like, we have Mel and Danny and Renee and, and Joe. Is that Rene Russo? Rene yeah. Russo. Right, right, right. January of 1998 like that's when their window and the movie's coming out in july of 98 so it's like God. shooting a tv pilot so we need a pitch now we need a pitch you're, now we need a script and you're working out on the weekend yes so we came up with a pitch we go in on a monday we leave our office at universal where we're doing time cop go through the back gate over to warner brothers pitch it to dick donner on the phone he signs off then we then we have to wait for joel for three hours <laughs> And he comes back in. It's Joel Silva. Joel Silva. The producer. And he's and he's uh he's a big collector. So he was walking around this table looking at these like art deco toys. And he literally comes in and he goes, Okay, great, go. And then we start pitching and we're following him around the table. And about three quarters, he sits down, listens to the rest of the pitch. This pitch was like ten minutes long. It was not long. And he goes, I like it. He goes, That's great. He goes, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to call looks at this guys, call the studio and tell them to hear the pitch. And then he looks at this, guys, take out all the action sequences. Just go exciting action sequence here because Dick doesn't want to commit to any sequences right now. And if the studio has a question, you just tell them to Joel and Dick love it and start writing. That's what he did. So we, they, and he goes, so we, you were in, we were in. So we were, and of course we grew up, on Lethal Weapon movies like that. So you were like, I can't believe. We can't believe we're writing a Lethal Weapon movie. You guys don't look like two guys that really just jump up and just fucking get hammered and, you know. No. We don't get hammered. No, I that mean, was like a stress, no. like, holy yeah. crap, what so are going to do? So when you're leaving, when they say you got it, you're writing the new Lethal Weapon 4, what do you, how do you party? You're like, oh, well, well we, you don't because we had to go back to work on the show. On Time Cop? <laughs> on Time Cop. Uh, and then so we're like going in there like, where have you been for the last couple hours? Were you like, fuck you, Time Cops. <laughs> No. So we're going to work on Lethal Weapon. You no. didn't tell him? No. no. Why? Because because then we had a – the guy who was running that show was so paranoid and felt like the 88 writer strike had ruined his movie career. Oh. So he was super bitter. And there was no writer's room on that show, but we'd be in our office. And every now and then he'd just open the door and be like, what are you guys doing? So – and the best part was we had gone in – this was probably a couple of weeks in – Joel and Dick's assistants call and say, hey, why don't you come in and pitch Joel and Dick where you are? We're probably a week away from finishing the script. So we're like, if this is, goes terribly, we're screwed. Fine, yeah. So so we go over, we pitch them what we're doing. They love it. They say, great, keep writing, get us the script as soon as possible. It was two days later, we're sitting in our office. Joel Silver calls and he goes, hey guys, it's Joel. Um, Dick and I are sitting here with Mel Gibson and we started pitching him the script and we thought, fuck it, you guys should pitch it. So hold on, I'm going to put you on speakerphone. Right there in so the office. The, and we had this this paranoid guy who's literally going to break into our office at any second. We got Mel Gibson and Al's pitching away the story. It was like the most <laughs> – literally, we'd have been in such trouble. Oh, my God. Yes. Are you, you're freaking out. You're sweating. You're red-faced. Yeah, because you're just I mean, like, how oh. I can't – sometimes you can't be articulate when you're nervous and you're put on the spot. Sometimes I'm like, well, it's a show about. You're like – well, here's here's the good news is we'd written so much of the script we knew you what knew it, it inside out yeah so we could pitch jokes and things like that which was great and it went well and it went well yeah now like all right guys it's really great really great yeah he really liked it so the movie started so we're writing Lethal Weapon four and um, at the time we were doing it our friend John Glickman was running a company called Spyglass and 
he was making a movie with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker called Rush Hour. So he kept calling him, what's the plot of Lethal Weapon for? Because both of them had had an Asian element to it. Both of them were set in L.A. They Shanghai. were cop shows. Were Shanghai. So, yeah, so he, he goes, look, he goes, we're making this movie with Jackie. If it makes more than $40 million, we're going to make another movie with Jackie. And Jackie has an idea, and I want you guys to write it. We're like, great, what's the idea? And he goes, he wants to do a Western. We're like, great, what's the idea? He goes, that's the idea. So come up with a with a Western for Jackie. So we come up with a Western, and then we go over to pitch pitch Jackie Chan and his manager, Willie Chan. Willie Chan, and who, who recently and passed they, away. So there's the four of us in this tiny office pitching this movie and – Smoking cigars. Everyone's smoking cigars. They, the four people in the room are smoking cigars. And we're we're in a to, room this size. Trying to pitch this story, and Al's contact lenses pop out because it's so dry. dry. Super dry. Because oh, you're nervous. And he's like, there's, there's Jackie Chan Al's on the floor, like, crawling around looking for his contact lenses, trying to pitch this story. It was like, yeah. Are you saying Like, yeah. embarrassed? Yeah, I was just like, just wait a minute. Sweating. And they're, they're talking. And then the best with, with Jackie was, you know, we were pitching. He goes, oh, I have an idea for a sequence. And he goes, stand up. So you stand up and he's and then he starts using you as almost like a practice dummy for what he's going to do in the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it was it was great. But it, you sell it. We sell it. Done. You know, we sell it. And that became franchise. And that. Yes, exactly. So that was Shanghai Nights. Shanghai, Shanghai Noon. Right. Yes. Shanghai Noon. Shanghai yes. Nights. Right. Exactly. So that's what's going on on the movie side. So on the TV side, we've done the, that. I remember that was yes. happening. That's when I met. You. Yes. Yeah. That, that, exactly. Shanghai Nights was shooting the first season of Smallville. Remember, because I had to go to Prague and, oh you were in, and you were in Vancouver. So anyway, so we we'd done these two shows. We'd gotten a deal with Joel at Warner Brothers to do a buddy cop television show. So this is our first show we created called The Strip. Called The Strip. Right. That's with uh, I remember the bald guy from Powder. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, What's his name? Sean Patrick Flannery. Sean Patrick Flannery. Flannery. Yeah, he was right. the young Indiana Jones. And he was young Indiana Jones. Right, right, it was a weird right. thing with him. He was a great guy, but he didn't want to be an actor at that point. He wanted to be a racing car driver. So he was like all about – can I get out on the weekends and Fridays? I want to work because I want to go race cars. It's like, well, sounds like me. Just want to get out. You're all the, the time. star of the show. Yeah. Anyways, that was that was that went like eight episodes. It went right? eight episodes, but what was great about it was it was it was on UPN. It was kind of a low key show, and Warner's let us run it. We had a good experience, and they made an overall deal with us, and they wanted us to do more shows. And so that's when like, it was the summer of 2000. Peter Roth, who's the president, president of Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers, still president is. Warner Brothers. Yes, he's been there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Got the rights for um, Superman on television. And so he he called us up. It was executive. It was Andrew Plotkin, I remember. He called us up and said, we have the idea. We want to do Superman for TV. Peter's always loved Superboy. We want to do Superman in high school. Can you guys come up with a pitch? And so that's that's really how it, how it started. Uh, yeah. Do you remember sitting thinking of ideas for Smallville? Yeah. And what this is about. Do you remember the first thing that made you kind of go, ooh, did one of you say something or that just kind of goes, oh, that's cool. Was there something that just spawned that? Because the idea of the story before the story when they're growing up, before Lex becomes evil, before Clark becomes Superman, but it's like this in this little town, everything happens before. It's such a great idea and a great world that how did it kind of get going? How did that really start spinning? Well, what's interesting is, you know, this is, in 2000, a lot of people didn't think it was a great idea. No, we had a, a lot, lot of, of friends who were like, "Like that sounds super cheesy." Like, well, I, I thought cool. I thought when they first approached me, I was yeah. like, eh, "I didn't really care." Yeah, because I thought it was going to probably be cheesy. Yeah, because because again, it was WB. Well, also the last but we always believed in it. Actually, yeah. we always thought it would be a hit. And that I guess the first idea we we really locked in on is the three is that the, this is Love Triangle at its core, which is the Lana Lex and Clark with that and the idea of making the Kents much younger. 
Yeah. Of course, taking away the costume as well and really grounding Superman. The, the idea, I always had a problem with that character. Is I, I never understood why he was so good. Yeah. Why, why does he just innately decide to be good? So getting to that root of that question. And then the idea that emerged was the... The meteor shower. The meteor shower, which changed, which gave it a franchise, which gave it an engine week to week. Who who was he going to fight in? He we needed the the. It couldn't and, just be boy detective. It couldn't just be, him yeah. running around the town like solving crime. Just him. right. But the meteor shower not only brings him to Earth, but it also changes Lex's life forever. Yes, oh, completely. And, which that, is and great... that was the idea that it would that it actually changes all three of their lives. Lex, Lana, and Clark on the same because her parents die. Yeah, parents but also die. Lex in particular because that there was no connection between Lex's childhood and Clark. Right. In that way, and the idea is he lost his hair, which sort of like really wounds Lex in a very deep way psychologically. The rest of his life. And particularly the new relationship that we established with Lionel Luther when he's when that look that John Glover gives when he sees the little kid in the, the corn hair. without the hair is like the tufts of hair. So it's kind of disgusted in a way. Yeah. Complete disgust that his his, I remember, I, his, his so ideal long. of a, of his son has been destroyed in that moment. Right. So that, that the, the idea that this guilt that Clark carries and is a reason why he becomes who he becomes was something that really excited us as writers. Yeah. And was also the challenge was how do you bring something new to to this legend? What's ironic now is that in the, this day and age where people are so um, religious about canon, about what's happened before, we would never be allowed to do what we did. Yeah. We would never be allowed. And just a really – the constraints I feel on superhero movies, which have to be so loyal to their source, is really a detriment to storytelling. That we were very fortunate that no one was looking at us. That we had free range to do whatever we wanted, and 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 DC and and Warner Brothers and the WB were all super supportive. You know, do you remember when you pitched it to Peter Roth? Yeah, was he ecstatic? Yeah, he he he's he like really this is slam dunk and, and, and we but we actually would go. It was almost like over the course of a month, like every Friday. I felt like every Friday afternoon we would go in and sit down and and pitch out more of it. And, and, and it was deeper. also like it was yeah. very collaborative, and we're, yeah. we're very collaborative, collaborative as. As people, in terms, of we love to have. If you like an idea, you'll use it. You don't sit there and go, "No, it's not our idea." No, exactly. So it sucks. Exactly. There's a lot of act. There's a lot of writers that do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And for us, because eventually we get credit anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, who gives a shit? Someone comes we just want. Yeah, I got credit. No, we no, want the sure. best, and we love actually. It's yeah. like the puzzle of screenwriting. The puzzle of story is how do you figure out those problems and solve them in a creative way. So that's something we really enjoy, and I think. One of the reasons we we're still working is because we have that ability to be collaborative and not be defensive. Um, You're malleable. Well, not malleable. It's just like we're open. Yeah. We're not going to be like if it's a good I mean, idea. Yeah, it's a good I idea. guess you are stern in the w- things that you want. You're like I'm not changing our ways for that. Have you always been like that? If you really believe in something, you won't. You're not going to change for someone. No, we got we got a really strong point of view about what we do, right. And how it should be. And once, and we think we're very clear about that as well. So you have to be on on that bus, but within the the boundaries we set, you have complete free range. Right. If you speak to people who work with us from production designers or cinematographers or directors, it's like once they know what we want, we leave them alone. Yeah. And I noticed like just on set, like, you know, you talk about how Al is really good with the dialogue and you're both really good with structure and you work so well together. But it seems to me, I remember you seemed like you were a stronger voice maybe if you weren't happy with something on set. Or if something of the costumes or things yeah. that you didn't like, you were the one that were like, you wanted this this way. This, why isn't it like this? Why does she look like that? You were the one that said it. You were very passionate. Yeah, I'm very that. much, I, I, I'm the one on set. Al's more in the writer's room and dealing with executives. 
and the budget and the budget so in terms of how how we (laughs) that sucks al differentiate our lives i'm very much about the look of the show the costumes the production design working with the crew i love all that i love the actual physical element of it i love working with like practical effects teams and all those sort of things but then also been really clear in terms of the definitions of what a character should wear hair and makeup all those things are sort of like my domain and al's much more about the Miles is an outdoor cat, and I'm an indoor cat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So let's let's jump ahead to they like the script; it's in good shape. How long quickly does it take to get the script to where they want it? We we well, sold the f- first thing though is that the WB, who felt like the natural home for this show, the year before had told us an executive that we weren't WB writers that we we, we were too we were too was it male like or too action too, like you do male action. Who is this stuff. guy? It was it was a woman, and it's still a good friend of ours, and I love the teaser about right. it. Right, um, and you write too well. much like men. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, it was like it was like you're not really WB testosterone. Writers. And there was this book. The WB had a book of writers that were approved on the approved book. We were not on the approved list of writers for that network. Jeez, <laughs> I remember one time going through it with the the head of current. Um, John Litvak, who we all knew, who, who, and, yeah, and we loved him as well. I told that fucker to stop smoking every day, cigarette after cigarette. I know. But he, Shut up, Rob. Just because I have an occasional cigarette, you looked at me with disdain. <laughs> Fuck you, Rob. But Rob. He, you care he, about me, though, Rob, right? Yep. Okay, we would good. go through like writers. Like I remember we were like trying to staff season two, and he'd be like, no, not approved, not approved. And I was like, God damn it. Look in that book for our names. And he goes, we're not approved either. So. That's great. That's great. That, uh, yeah. It's all right. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta look outside the box, my friend. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we sold it in September. Well, yeah, but they didn't want to hear it first. So it was, we were going to we we're going to Warner Brothers to WB as a courtesy. Do you remember this? Yeah. So and we, the whole plan was to sell it to Fox. That yes. was we were all about selling it to Fox. And the head of Fox, a woman called Gail Berman, who went on to do the OC and a bunch and Buffy and a bunch of shows. Her whole thing was about love triangles and and relationship triangles, which you look at Smallville is all about triangles because we were designing the show. For her. For her. So we pitched it to Fox. We only pitched to Fox and the WB. We go to Fox in the morning. Pitch goes great. They they essentially want it in the room. So we go in the afternoon. We're going to the WB and Peter goes. Peter Roth. Peter Roth. He, they know who he is now. He basically says, this is a courtesy. Let's just go in and do it. And we went in and we were pitching Suzanne Daniels. Why don't you say, look. Uh, you can't unless you already knew it was sold to Fox. No, but I think I, I think for us we were like, great, we have one in the bag. So, you didn't care, so so the pressure's off. Oh, so, I know how that goes. Yeah, so we go in and, and we, it'd be pretty clear they didn't want it. They told us they didn't want well, it. Well, they, right. they took from the log line. Yeah, they heard Superman in high school and they're like, eh, we're not interested. So you're fearless at this point. So we're so we go in and it's it's a really well worked out pitch. And so we go in and we start pitching. Also, we're all wearing like these Superman t-shirts over our shirts. Remember that? Peter was wearing it over his like over his suit. shirt and tie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I do remember. Yeah. It was a little <laughs> it was like yeah. Joe Davola, like yeah. all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we go in and pitch it and you can see Suzanne in the room slowly going, holy shit, this is a really good idea. And by the end, she goes, that's a great pitch. So it's like in the room, you could sort of see her going, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And as right as you can tell if a pitch is going well yeah. or badly, yeah. just by people's reactions. So you had a bidding war. So we pitch it there. We leave. It seemed to go very well. And and Peter came out and said, I think we're still going to Fox. And then it's radio silence for like four days while they're negotiating. The Fox executives are calling us and we like, look, guys, we think it's going to you. And then you know it's like a papal conclave suddenly it was like the doors open and peter's like we're selling it to the wb they're going to give us you know 13 
So it so and we always thought it should go to the WB. Like I don't remember it being picked up for thirteen. I thought it was one just the pilot. It, it was basically unless the pilot sucked, they weren't gonna. Yeah, yeah. but it was still we're gonna bet on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yes. right. yeah. So you went with them. So we so we went with the went with the WB. And well, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, we were delighted, but it wasn't our decision. It was yeah, like, we were told that, after the fact. Yeah, is, that's it. Was all the again? It was the studios right. doing all of that. But I remember Susan Daniels wrote a book later and said it was Smallville was the best pitch he ever heard. Wow. Yeah. Now the the biggest challenge was coming. You you know you sold the script. You think yeah. that was the hardest challenge? The biggest challenge is actually getting these actors to play these legendary roles and to make the show pop. Well, here's and the, the nice thing was we sold the project in September of 2000 and most pilots, you don't start casting until you have the script, which means you start casting in January. They were like hire a casting director, write sides. Sides are scenes from the episode that you're going to use. Yeah. I didn't get an episode. I got, no, you got sides. Three pages. That's what we had. So we were writing the script as you know, we wrote these sides and we started auditioning people starting in October and we turned the script in, in at Christmas, basically. By the way, those side scenes are probably the best scenes in the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're all, that, was they're the, all... that was the fencing scene. That yes. was the fencing scene. Yeah. The fencing scene. It was the, the graveyard scene. And with, it was with the... With Lana and Clark. And, and, it was the, and it was the Chloe Pete uh, scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You cast Clark first, right? No. No. So... so the, I don't remember who was cast The first. plan was... The, the plan was actually... We, are, we were going to cast Clark first and cast around it. But then in December, we did it. We did the universal casting. We had a casting directors all over the country yeah. doing doing casting calls. How many? We had New York, L.A., Toronto, Vancouver, London. Casting for all of these characters. Ca- casting, casting for all of them. Mostly, fr- frankly, looking for Clark, Lana, Lex. Like those were those were the primary ones. And then in um, December of 2000, we got this tape from so it's, Vancouver. It's you know video cassettes. Yeah, it's video cassettes. So we had a whole box of video cassettes all over the, all these auditions around the around the country. I still have VHS tapes. I yeah. didn't yeah. hear, don't I? And we had, and it was Kristen Kruk. She was the first one. She 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 did the scene. Was it a self tape? It not? was no no. Heike and uh, oh yeah, they that, they did it. Heike in Vancouver in Vancouver, right? yeah. and said she's amazing. You should see it. And we're like okay, and we looked at it, and it was again like crappy VHS tape and never and never you know. But it was enough. Room. She was great. We, we were like, the look. we need to get her now. Then Clark. Yeah. Then Clark. Because he was a model and he had been on Chasing Amy. Not Chasing Amy. He, uh, regarding on, Amy. No, regard, it was... It was, it was judging um, Amy. Judging, judging Amy. Judging Amy. That's what judging, it was. Judging, regarding... No. Yeah. And he'd been in an extra in a Judd Apatow Yeah, in, unde- in Undeclared. Right. But right, right. we had every, like, Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles and... Who was the closest to Je- getting hit? Jen- Jared, Jensen. 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 When we went into the network, it was it was Tom and Jensen. And isn't that funny? Jensen became a recurring character for a couple seasons, and that playing the high school coach, which was ridiculous because he yeah. looked great. But no, he was great. <laughs> and then he went off to get a series called Supernatural. And I remember going, directed by Nutter, David Nutter, right, of course. Uh, and then you're like Supernatural, hey, you know, whatever. I know. And then it's 15 seasons. Yeah, I know. But here's the best part: there is because he was shooting in Vancouver. It was season four. And he, they got the pilot, and they shot the pilot of Supernatural in Los Angeles. And he would give Tom a hard time, like, "Hey, the show gets picked up. I'm shooting in Los Angeles. The minute the show gets picked up, in Vancouver. Vancouver. Fifteen years later, <laughs> it happened to me too with Impastor. It's like all of a sudden, like years later, they're like, uh, we're going to film in Vancouver.' I'm like, what? <laughs> Not that I don't love Vancouver. Okay, so well, who is the hardest to cast? Uh, Lex Luthor. Lex <laughs> Luthor. Well, you, told you, you know that's. You story. know I know that. Lex you told Luthor. Me that. How honest, honest a guy with a gun to your head? How many people auditioned for this role? Oh, five hundred. Oh my god, so many, so many. And you just and you saw every tape. 
we saw every take. And who was up for it that you were like, ah, eh, he's pretty good? Well, there there was um, Anson Mount. Anson Mount. Anson Mount. But before, Zach Levy. Zach, 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 so, friend Zach so, Levi. Yeah. Levi. So Zach Levi, actually, we took he, he was great. So we took him into the network, which is like, this is our choice. And I remember you always got to get a couple of people into the network, but everyone's so terrifying. Peter Roth loved him. We all loved him. So we took him into, it was, they had this bungalow on the Warner Brothers lot. I remember. The WB. So we went in there and then this talking to Zach saying, you know, this, this can change your life. You know, this is going to be life changing. Oh, why you do that? <laughs> well, no, but he, I think he said it to me. Like this, he, he gets into the audition room and literally it is the the worst thing we've ever seen starts to, to cry. And it's just like, what happened? Crying. Oh, crying as Lex Luthor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it just, it just, the audition just went sideways. Did he think it went great? No, no. no. I never forget. I was, we were standing outside the bungalow, watching him walk away, realizing he completely blown it. And just like, and then we just sat turned to each other. What the hell is going to happen to that guy? Did you yeah. feel bad? Yeah. Devastated. Devastated. Cause he's, I mean, he's a nice guy. And he's a great actor. And he's a great actor. And look, it's he's just, had a great he, career. Dude, I just had an audition where I go in there and people are like, did you nail it? Did you hit a home run? A grand slam? I got it. Maybe a double. Well, no, but that's the thing. Just, that, you never that, know. No. It's just like how you feel that day. It's yeah. like you guys in a pitch. Yeah. You can yes. crush it or you can go like, ah, eh, yeah. I don't know. The nerves got me or I was a little bit, I wasn't articulate enough. I looked a little bit like I wasn't sure of myself. There's so many things that can go wrong. And it was Dee Dee Bradley who said, you guys should take a second look at Michael. Well, Rothbaum. that's what we, we already seen you because yes. you had, and you had, wait a, a minute, wait a minute. Some, you had a cold. Else. You had a cold. No, no, no. This is the truth of the story. I, I swear to God, and I told this story. The first time my agents kept going, Smallville, Smallville, Smallville. And I go, oh, I don't want to do a, a series about a young... It's the WB. The WB has a bunch of shitty shows. I don't want to... Not that they're shitty. I don't want to sure, say... It, but fine. they're not just... They're, they're just young and light and soap opera-ish. And I was like... I, I was doing comedies. Well, and it was, was Dawson like, Creek at that point. But I hadn't had huge success. Yeah. I had done like Urban Legend, a show called Zoe that didn't wasn't successful. So right. in my head, I just was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this. And so I really half-assed the audition. Yeah, oh, I just didn't give. I just didn't give a shit. I remember not knowing my lines. I not really. I just didn't care. Right. And for some reason, I, I don't know what happened. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Was it Dee Dee Bradley? It was another casting director too. Uh, yeah, but it was Dee Dee who told us to take a second. Look oh, it was Dee Dee. And so, and what was interesting was. And by that point, like we literally, well, thought, we, we were like a week away from shooting the thing, so we had to just like the pivotal role. Yeah, so we we're all freaking out basically. And I was in, I was already in Vancouver oh, with with, Nutter, with David Nutta prepping, so it was getting down to the wire. And I was in L.A. and I think that's when you came in. You you came in. I so, just, so yeah, you, but I didn't come with you. I, I yeah, you did. No, hang on. Okay, I I remember I came in again. With nobody there, you may have pre. All I can tell you is I was in a room with Mike Tolan, and he was another executive producer. He was really? another executive producer, and you came in, and Dee Dee was like, had the camera set up, and this is when again the video cameras were kind of. Big and I and told clunky. her to, and, and and she's like, oh, you need to be here and here, and you're like, no, I'm moving around, and we're like, follow him around. So, so she goes, it's going to take me a few minutes to re- to yeah. get everything you're right. I'm like, I just I want to sit, I want to get up, I want to do yeah. these things. Yeah, I asked them what 500 other guys were doing wrong. I wanted to know from yeah. you guys, and they asked you, I guess, and you said, we want him to have charisma. We want him to have a sense of danger. Sense of danger, We want yes. him to be uh, smart or calculating or, or uh, show a little bit of edge. Yeah. So I wrote, you know what? I'm going to be dangerous here. I'm going to be funny here. Whatever. And I, I circled those areas, and I go, that's what I'll do. Yeah. And I went in there, and I, it was one of those things like you didn't have a fear because you knew Fox was – they're going to buy it. So even if whatever happens. So you had no fear. I yeah. went in. It was one of those few auditions where I went in. And I didn't care. Yeah. And it felt like so freeing. And you were great. And But that oh. was it. 
and they wanted him to test me, and I was like, "Well, here's no, no, here's so here's what happened there because I heard this story. With I said Tom, rewind the tape, but then th- this is the other side of the story. So Miles comes back, we show him the tape. We're all like, oh, and Peter Roth's there as well, and he literally says he's looking at the tape. Well, no, we we took it up to his office. Oh, yeah, well, and oh, I, I saw it first. You saw it first, and thought this is the guy. We're like, this is the guy. So we so we say to Peter. We got the guy. We go up to his office, and it's the same thing. It's like humor, charisma, blah, blah, no, blah. but he's literally standing in front of the TV, and he's looking at you. Yeah. And then he says, oh, there it is. There's the danger. Exactly right. And we knew it was like, okay, great. And then we're like, can we want to take him to the network? And I think it was actually Peter. I'm sure they called and said, will you come into the yeah, network? You know, and Peter was like, just send them the tape. And that's what – you know what's funny is I was too and, scared. And, and Jordan Levin said, yeah. loved you. So, I love Jordan. And, and by the way, it was it was one of those things like once everybody saw the tape, it was done. done. It and was you know what's done. funny is I said to my agent, he says, I go, listen, tell them to rewind the tape. I, I can't go back in. He goes, what do you mean? They'll never do this. This is the, one of their biggest shows. I go, I'll never be that good again. Well, well, that, you are. Well, you were. I, but yeah. in that room. No, I know. The, no, no, exactly. For some reason, I was. It was a. Ba- it was a bad decision, but it was a good decision. But I don't recommend that to anyone. It was a lucky thing. No, because we and, we sent them the tape, thinking, oh god, if they're if they're going to ask him to come in, and, and Jordan called and said he's great, hire him. Lightning in the bottle. Lightning but, yeah, bottle, Jordan like, loved you. Yeah. So it was like so that, that was, was terrifying. Yeah. That was the most terrifying. Do you remember the first day? Or I think it was the first day where we were in the um, twelve foot deep tank water tank yes Ooh. and I, I was so scared because they put me down there and they put weights on my body and they put the mask on so i could breathe in the water I'm like, <sighs> that was the last day wasn't it no i think that was, was that, that the was, last day yeah, the first day we came up we recorded you shaving your head oh that was do we have that somewhere i you must i think you recorded i think i do have that you, you recorded it but i was yeah i remember you always think you're gonna get fired you always think you're gonna and I've, i had done some other shows and I, this was the first time in my life because my father i always tell the story he's like what do you mean you're doing an independent movie? So you're not doing a real movie? You're, you're doing a short film? No, that's not a real film, a short. So he always thought, like, what are you doing acting? Get out of this profession. <laughs> he wasn't the most supportive. So when I saw the, the opening of the pilot, David Netter brought me in because I was doing ADR, ADR yeah. sound for the, you know, and he said, well, would you like to see the opening? And I go, sure. And I could not believe what I had seen. And I walked out and I called my parents and I said, this is going to be a hit. Uh, people are going to maybe recognize me finally in my life. <laughs> and they go, what do you mean? I go, no, I just know it. That's And they never heard me say that before. Right. And so it just, it was one of those, it was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was terrifying because I, when you walk on set, the production design, I'd never seen anything like it. And you know, that whole town in the opening blowing up, you know, with the meteor shower and the, it was just, and the way it was shot and the, you know, everything came together. People always say the actors made the show or they'll say, you know, the, uh, the way it was, sh- it's so important to understand that without the writers, without the creation and a vision and without all the people they hire around it. And if those people, any of those people aren't good at what they do and you know, that the DP doesn't light the right thing or it is, everything has to come together to make it yeah, so and then it's, it's alchemy. Yeah, it's, it is, it is alchemy. That's you can have the same group of people make something else and it's crap. It's the idea. It's the script. It's that amazing combination of actors and then the, the team behind it in terms of production, the director. So it is, but it's bizarre how it's just that special moment. And then it's also the timing, you know, because we came yeah. out, you know, one of the first superhero shows, Lois and Clark had been the last iteration of Superman. And then critics were like, eh, nothing. And then 9-11 happened. 
and that, uh, the show premiered a month after 9-11. And that really changed everything in terms of people's perception of the show as a celebration of what America could be and is. So that we'd really leaned into the Americana of Smallville as a notion in production design and costuming and the sort of color and the beauty of what it is to be America or people's imagination of what America is. So that really just was what the country needed at this moment when that happened. And I think it's really important to remember that moment. That's And not only that, yeah, it was, I think that's really poignant. And I also think that, you know, the WB hadn't really done anything that was, had the dichotomy of, you know, they had the, the shows that were kind of like all oh, pretty and nice, but this had this sort of darkness to it where you, you know, see Clark and you'd see his father and his family, this all American family and this love and affection. And then you'd see the, the, the Luthers, like, like, the yeah. Luthers and like what, you know, the backstory to all the darkness. And that's yeah. what I think the both those two together just kind of created something really special. Well, it was, it was multi-generational. And that, and I think that that's really yeah, and it was adding the adding complexity to, to the mythology, to, yeah. to superheroes in yeah. terms of that idea, which is radical at that moment. There hadn't been anything; there'd been X Men, but the idea of adding depth and emotion to these people that you read in a comic book was kind of ludicrous. And what's happened now is that we sort of swung the other direction. That people, critics, are now like all they want comic book movies to be is funny and yeah. sort of banal which is sort of what where they always put it it's back into that same slot yeah it just feels like nowadays i'm not bashing movies uh, maybe it's just because i'm old i used to say to my father oh it's because you're old or my grandfather it's like you hate everything <laughs> you hate music am i becoming that do we become that but i don't think that's true i feel like for me like horror movies you know horror movies really scared me and they don't make you, you, really, you really enjoyed us huh I didn't say it was us that I didn't like. Did you read the tweet? Yes. It just infuriates me sometimes because look, I love seeing people's success. I love, but don't you think that a lot of movies it's just the same movie made over and over? Yes, and I think also there's a there's a lemming like attitude to popular culture that if if all the critics will love something, but it's like, well, really? Yeah, it's the it's, it's the Rotten Tomatoes effect. Thank you, because I you probably agreed with my tweet then. Yeah, maybe yeah. I was a little too hard. No, because no, there's, there's, right. there's lack there's a lack of honesty. Like, no one can be honest about what they think. They're afraid to say what they think. How could, here's here's what they should do. Here's what Rotten Tomatoes should do. Tell me if I'm wrong. If you give a movie an A, Miles, Al, Rob, if you give a movie an A, it probably means that I'd see that movie again. That's how I judge it. If I want to give a movie an A, I'd see that again. It was so good, I'd see it again. How many of these movies are given 90, 95, 97% that you want to see over and fucking over again? Have you again? seen Cold War? So it's like it's like that and Roma and these movies which are sort of super worthy, but actually are boring as fuck. So why are people going to sit there and watch this stuff that gets 100%? It's like they're boring. I'm boring. Sorry. sorry. So And then you see the schism between the, the Rotten Tomatoes critics and the cinema score, which grades what audiences think right. of movies, which is also fascinating. Yeah. But yeah. I think the, the horror movie thing is like a fascinating in terms of what critics think a good horror movie is. I mean, Hereditary is a great independent movie. It's not a horror movie. By any stretch, yeah, I mean, there's some great. I, it's funny so, enough. It's more of a horror movie than us. Oh, more of a horror movie sure. than most of the horror movies. It had some scares, which make it a horror. <laughs> it had some shocks. So don't call yourself a horror no, movie and, if you're if, if it's a horror comedy. Right. Don't call Shaun of the Dead a horror movie. It's hilarious and great, but it's not scary. So I have these problems with like you know what was the last scariest movie you saw then? The scariest, like you know, look, it follows insidious. I love it. It follows. It follows was genius. It yep. was original. It was dark. It was just like something I hadn't seen. I watch a lot of indie, and it's movies. so simple, so simple. And, and I think that the success stories, if you look at them, like the strangers, 
they're simple. And that's what I want to do. I want to make a horror movie that's just simple. Keep it simple, something that's relatable that could happen to anybody. That's what success. You do these giant movies, these commercial movies that are just CGI'd out the ass. I, I just I get really frustrated. With it. Yeah, interesting. And what do you think about all the superhero movies nowadays? Do you see a Marvel? Do you do you feel like it's one of those guys? Because look, you don't want to sound like one of those guys. Who are like, yeah. Oh, yeah, back in our day. Yeah, um, but but do you think it's oversaturated? Do you, do you I, think you know I, you would think so? Or give them give people what they want. But but it's not like my my son is fifteen. He watches all of the CW shows. He loves the movies. So I mean, for him. They're great. I mean, right. I, I look at it and I go, this is all stuff we did 20 years ago. You know, I, I sort of feel like, you know, we... we well, it's so weird, isn't it? My it, daughter it is 13 it, loves it as well. But yeah. hang on, here's the difference. When I was a kid, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out and I had to wait another six months to a year <laughs> for another movie like that yeah. to come out. And that was exciting. Yeah. Now it's every fucking month there's the, the, the big-ass blockbuster. Well, this is, this is I'm not putting inter- it down, I'm just saying. No, no, but it's part of it is distribution changed. So, you know, it used no, to be... No, but I think as Michael said, it's giving people what they want and people, it's insatiable. You think, when's it going to stop? That's what I think. It's like a religion now that people, it's like chapters of a fucking Bible that people need and feel they, this urgency to figure out, oh, I need to know what happens next. It's like, it's actually... So when are they going to run out? The, I don't think they are. You think Look, they can continue you can with these make, stories forever? If you can make Ant-Man... If, if, by the way, if Captain Marvel can make a billion dollars... Would it go wrong? They can, they can turn... Or Ant-Man. Or, or, Ant- or, yeah. or, or, you know, the other ones like Thor. I mean, how does Thor have three movies? It's just like, it's impossible to imagine. It's, I mean, they've done... I mean, again... Kudos. We've, yeah. we've known Kevin Feige for a long time. Genius. Man. Genius. Yeah. Honestly, it's like amazing. I just want more horror movies. I want good horror movies. It's a very hard genre. Yeah. It's a very hard... Because it's like, how do you do... How do you, Can you add something original to that genre it's, yeah. that hasn't been trod before? It's very difficult. You don't... Here's the, here's the reality. If, if I was a studio head, don't hire big stars. You do not need big stars for a horror movie. Get nobodies. Pay them nothing. Make a movie... I mean, pay them enough, you know... Make a movie for three million dollars with a great script. Get the best writers. We don't need to make it for fifty or thirty or twenty with tons of CGI. And find me good scripts and get the best writers. Things that are relatable. Things that people fear. You know, being home alone at night. You know, the boogeyman, the Babadook. Things that's like good. that. I like the yeah. So anyway, that's. <laughs> I don't want to get off on that. But look, you gave me a career. You gave all of us a career. Without you guys. Um, and this opportunity, I wouldn't be here. I, I, you know, I'd probably be doing comedies and I'd be doing it, but who knows? I never thought, look, I always did plays, yeah. but you know, it's funny as people always say it. You both have always said it. Don't forget you're a dramatic actor. And I'm like, I, I tell you this, I, I tell you this because I think time. always I was the goofy little kid that I'm like funny and I'm this and I'm like, I, I don't know. Really? No, I think that's, I, that's the, that's the strange thing about people's psychology It's like, you're an amazing dramatic actor who's work has been you know celebrated for 20 years almost in terms of on smallville so it's like why haven't you done broadway why haven't you done more theater why haven't you done more movies it's like one of those things that you have that because i think you've been fighting against doing that you've been like i'm the comedian i want to be a comedian you're one of the few people i know like most comedians want to be taken as serious dramatic actors and you're the dramatic actor that wanted to be the comedian (laughs) but i was always a goofball kid the guy you know growing up always making jokes always doing impressions always making people laugh and you know before smallville i did sorority boys and it didn't do that well but like disney was trying to make a deal with me and i was i was off to start making comedies but once i shaved my head my career completely changed for seven years really i was that was smallville and i don't regret it for a minute no way but it definitely put my I, I think if it wasn't for smallville i don't think i probably would have who knows if i would have been, end up doing drama 
Right. It was really hard for me to people say action, and I'm being very serious the whole time. So if you notice when I well, it's always behind the, behind the scenes is always hilarious. behind the scenes. They're it's hilarious. just like me laughing, being an idiot, and then action. But the one thing I'll say, Michael, is that, and it's something obviously having done like 300 hours of television now is like, you know, we've worked with people who are real actors, and you are a real actor. You you never arrived on set without being prepared. You knew your lines. You goof, you'd goof around until the very last second. <laughs> Did it piss you Someone off? says action and you fuck you were on. Did, didn't piss us off. It was always you, good. And you had we all only... those speeches to learn and you <laughs> delivered time and again with nuance. You you deliver more misinformation about Alexander <laughs> the Great than I didn't anybody. I what I was saying. But that's fine. But you delivered it with such <laughs> like, no, I did. belief. But, you, but you'd, what, you'd, guess what? It looks effortless, but clearly you'd spent the you night spent... as any good actor. Always. Yeah. Learning your lines and knowing your shit. And that's what you... And that is actually something that's rare, that you never took it for granted, that you were serious about your craft. And that, guess what? It shows on screen. You can see the craftsmanship and your dedication. In the, in the performance, it's not just like you just don't turn that on. It's something well, that you. is. That means that means a well, it's shit true. Time. Well, thank you. And we, and, we, and we work with some amazing actors. Yeah, you and they, have. And they all have that sense of i think duty and responsibility and they realize that it's that's their love that's their professionalism passion. and like yeah yeah and i think that's when we look at everyone on smallville we had we have a no assholes role if someone is a dick it in any any, regard, any yeah. writer actor director anything they they don't stay working for us for long because we love to have an atmosphere of creativity and friendship and warmth and i think we lucked out with the smallville cast because they were great people yeah yeah and that's a really and were. that's a rare thing. And as we've gone on, it's that was a very rare thing. We had increase, and everyone on that show we were young, and they had incredible fame very, very quickly. And they, you know, that can make people crazy. You know, that's a big thing to to you see yourself in the cover of yeah. Mad Magazine or Rolling Stone or TV Guide. That Did you can, see that I have it in my bathroom. Yeah, you saw yeah. that. You like that? Yeah. Huh? That I was my Mad favorite thing. And also, TV you could literally become an overnight success. Whereas well, movies, you, you you make movies and it like yeah. takes time for it to come. I remember Owen Wilson talking about this. It's like the movies are in the can. You're making another movie, so it's a little bit of a slower build. In movies, no, did he say? Oh, it's, it's more like a slower. Wow, build. he said, "Man, it's a slower build." Oh no, it's like it's really great. Yeah. Now. It's like, I love working with you. Or anything. It's like, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> Jackie's real aggressive. He's a stunt double. That's, good. That's very good. Um, very good. Look, you went on. You keep creating amazing things you guys have into the badlands on amc it's the fourth season fourth season fourth season it's out now yes on amc yeah and And you can catch up on netflix you can catch up on netflix how do you continue to push the envelope how do you make because if season one's great which it was how do you make season two better is that always the idea of how do we just make everything better because you don't have really freak of the week like you did in smallville Again, people don't understand like 22 episodes a year. They called it Freak of the Week. Yeah. But to defend writers, if you're writing 22 episodes a week, 10 months a year, if you have a handful of great ones, a handful of good ones, and some media, you're not going to have perfection. Nowadays, they make 10 episodes on most TV shows, 10. And they better be great. And they, they all, they're all written yeah. before the season starts. They better be great. They better be great. So how do you do that with Into the Badlands? Well, I mean, that was it was interesting making television in the Smallville era of 22, which is exactly, we say that all the time. That was gonna, the, just, to, just say that, fucking pissed me off, this whole Freak of the Week. Bullshit. I know. It's when like I said it, I go... Absolutely fucking pissed me off. Well, tell me that. Tell me why I pissed because you off. this guy, Clark Kent, aka superman has superpowers who the fuck is he gonna fight what do they want him to do 
yeah. solve the local like you know shoplifting crime at the at the thrifty mart. I mean, it's literally yeah. like I mean, but I you know. want that guy doing Ooh, something. I want to see power. the rage, Miles. This is where the no, rage no. comes but out. You're, but it, you're right because no, no, it's, bro, like, me. it's like the crazy. media shower hit. This is the perfect idea yeah. for people to have some kind of powers, which Clark has to stop them. Otherwise, you're right. He's fighting normalcy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was just like Buffy. Fought fucking vampires every week. Nobody seemed to have people a problem always with that. have a problem with everything. Yeah. You know, they always yeah. have oh this that. Yeah. Oh, he's fighting the bug guy. He's fighting. Who is it? You're right. Who is he supposed to fight? Yeah, yeah. And then you know, we this is the thing where we did have orders from on high the first five episodes to re- keep repeating the pilot. That yeah. was that we had to keep reading because everyone was afraid no one would understand the show. That yeah. was the big fear that everyone at the network and the studio. You guys, you don't understand. No one's going to know what he is. And an avid viewer at that time watched one in four episodes of a show. So they wanted to make sure that people, as Miles said, that so you I understood. watched the first ten episodes with my thirteen-year-old daughter recently, right? And yeah, I think one, I'm amazed how big they were. The episodes, like ridiculous, like I can't yeah. believe they did that, and how good they still were. They were shot on film, but that sort of the repetitive nature of of those episodes, I I get the criticism there, but the whole notion of like, oh, they do freak of the week, it's like, give me a break. So into the Badlands, yeah. What can we expect this season? Well, this season, it's the last season, so you can expect a conclusion. This is it. <laughs> this is are it. Are people pretty upset about that? Yeah. I mean, I think they are. I think people – it's one of those shows, unlike unlike Smallville, um, it, it's a, I would say it's a very acquired taste. And when people love the show, they love it. But um, – and I think the fans are incredibly passionate. That's – I mean, you know how toxic Twitter can be. If you want to feel good about yourself, for us, it's like go on the Into the Badlands Twitter feed – People love the show. Of course. You know, it's like mall I think that's with every from, show. Yeah. It's like people, you know, you can sit here and talk about any show on television yeah. and there's those people that are passionate about it. Yeah. And those are the people that make the show yeah. successful. And I mean, for us, it, it was like, it was, it was a huge swing. It was not based on anything. And the fact that AMC supported the show, gave us the money to make the show, frankly, gave us the money and left us alone. Like they were, That's they were, they were never great. had more freedom. They never had more freedom. Did. And, and we were able to make this insane show for five years and the show has a conclusion. So if you start watching the show, it, it's, it feels like, you know, when you get, and to he the had end. Nick Frost, the wonderful Nick, Nick Frost Nick came Frost on for a couple of seasons. Yeah. He came on in season two. Right. Um, and he's, and he's fantastic. I that was, him. that was one of the things, one of he the is amazing. So funny. So good. He's so good. And his, in, his exactly his instinct is, we actually said it's a lot like you, which is just like his all of his choices are just real and great. And like, they elevate it. Whatever yeah. his material he has, he just elevates yeah. it. Yeah. And, it's and, really interesting. And, and you believe, you know, you believe what he's saying. He fits into the world. And for us, you know, the first season, you know, the the criticism, which we which we took, which is like the show feels very serious. And, you know, Miles and I and David Dobkin, who did the first three episodes, were like, how did the three guys who did Shanghai Nights make such a serious show? And so we wanted to open it up. And, you know, thankfully, Nick came into our lives. Brought some comedy. Yeah. yeah. Brought some, just mixed it up a little yeah. bit. And, it, and he's and he's great. And it yeah. just, and it literally opened up the show in a way that we never really. And if you don't know Nick Frost, I mean, Shaun of the Dead, I mean, the guy's been around. He's just a hilarious yeah. uh, actor. The book. What yes. made you want to write a book? This This was a long long time project it's literally a hobby we had this idea i think in 2010 and it was interestingly going to looking at indiana jones the thing we loved about indiana jones was that he was a guy with an incredibly specific you know skill set and career he's an archaeologist and i'm sure like all of us you were like 
I don't know what an archaeologist does. It doesn't feel like an adventure thing. But then you see Indiana Jones, you know, like he's in a classroom and now he's doing adventures and he's taking a punch. And all of those movies started with an archaeology thing. So we were like, we want something specific like that. So we came up with this idea for a character named David Tolan, who's the first director of preservation for the Library of Congress's National Film Archives. And in this first book, it's set in 1961. A canister of film comes over the Berlin Wall, which has not been up that long. And the CIA brings it to David, who is a former Korean War vet. So he wanted to get away from war. He's literally in an office in the Library of Congress restoring movies. And then he restores this, this canister and films back in the day were nitrate, which meant if they weren't kept at a proper temperature, they would start to deteriorate. He's able to restore it. And without giving anything away, it sets up a huge conspiracy that then sets them on a globetrotting adventure. So so the idea for us, we, we initially did it as a movie or, or wanted to do it as a movie. And then we realized it's period, it's globetrotting. If it's not Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise or Leonardo DiCaprio, nobody's ever making this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's called double exposure. It was yeah. double been, exposure, right? It's been a really fun experience just to do different, a different medium. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are, I mean, I mean, amazing. You're amazing creators, amazing writers, amazing guys. Once you get to know you, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But seriously, you've done your body of work. I mean, it speaks for itself and you got, and you show that hard work really does pay off because, you know, from the beginning of this interview, you talked about, you write every day, you challenge yourself every day. You guys wrote a book to try and break up the monotony maybe of writing screenplays and TV shows, which to most people would be enough, but it's never enough. You are insatiable, right? I think yeah, that's a no, good word to describe both you guys. And I have a feeling, you know, if I live long, you'll be around writing projects, doing things. And I'll be like, oh yeah, they didn't put me in that. Those fucking it's not for bad. lack of trying, by the way. <laughs> we have tried, haven't we? <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing this. Life, look, it's a very long life. Yes. You know, true. who knows what will happen? I'm 40. I'll be 47. You guys are right around there. Right. Right. Yes. We're all nearly the same age. Whether we work in a year together from now or five years, 10 years. I, I love you guys. We love you too. too. Yeah. I really think that uh, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Wait a minute. <laughs> that was from a movie, wasn't it? What's your favorite movie, Miles? My favorite movie. I love the movie Heat. Really? Mm -hmm. Michael Mann? Michael Mann. He's my, part of my favorite you filmmaker. You love that movie. I do love that. I love the movie Drive as well. I didn't see Drive. Oh, Michael, Michael. But Michael Mann, Heat, there's that guy, Ted Levine's in that. He was the guy from Silence of the Lambs who's like, oh, oh wait. Yeah. Oh, wait. Was she, Tom, Tom Noonan. That guy? she a great big fat person? It puts a lotion. So I watch. So what's funny is about that guy is I saw him in Silence of the Lambs, and one, t one time I was watching the TV, and the, and the mute button was on. And I look at it, and I go, hey, that's the dude from Silence of the Lambs. I want to see how he really talks. And I pressed play, and he goes, hey, can I get a beer around here? Like, oh, my God. He talks like that. Uh, but, okay, what's your favorite, Al? Uh, all That Jazz. All That Jazz. Yeah. That is completely different than what I thought you'd say. You love musicals, though. I do. You Al love is musicals. a big theater kid. I do. Well, look, this has been a real treat. I hope you guys will come back. This is a great Absolutely. part of having the creators of Smallville here, friends of mine, in my house. It's a real treat. Thank you, Mike. So thank, thank you, you Mike. for allowing me to let you, let me, thank you for allowing me to allow, wait, how do I say it? Thank, thank you, you for, for allowing, allowing me to, to be, be inside, inside of both you. of you. Yes, we are three-way. All right, guys, what a All treat. Right. Thanks, thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.